CSN International presents to every man an answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. We get together every weekday afternoon at this very time, live radio, to answer questions for you about the Bible from the Bible. You know, a lot of people wonder, what's going on in the world? Is it just spinning randomly out of control? Or does the Bible tell us exactly what these days that we're living in would be like? How do we know that this time we're in is different than any other time? I think that's a fair question. Jesus gave us some incredible cues back in Luke chapter 21, that Jerusalem would be trodden down by the Gentiles till the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Today, friends, Jerusalem is under Jewish control. It wasn't under Jewish control when Jesus said that. It was under Roman control and then annihilated in 70 AD. But now we find, just as Jesus said in these last days, Jerusalem again, the nation of Israel, the capital of Israel, Jewish people speaking Hebrew just like they did over 2,000 years ago here in this town. And Jesus said, the generation that sees this will not pass away till all these things are fulfilled. We're living in exciting times. And so I just want to encourage you to give us a call. 8888-ASK-CSN. If you've been reading your Bible, someone's asked you a question. You're wondering what in the world is going on. Hey, we'll give you what the Bible has to say about that in these days that we live. Joining me today, special guest, featured CSN speaker, comes on after to every man and answer, Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church, Dallas-Fort Worth. Hi and welcome, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Good to be with you today. Looking forward, as always, to a great show, great questions. And uh, I, w- with God's wisdom, we will do our best to answer them. Amen. And I look forward to that with you, as always. And so, uh, again, that number again, got some lines open, 8888-ASK. CSN. Well, we'll go ahead and go to the phones. We have Woody on the line in Texas. Hi and welcome. Hello. Hello. How may we help? How y'all doing? Oh, so good. Are, are you familiar with uh, Hebrew lettering? Somewhat, yes. I found something very fascinating, and I was wondering what your thoughts were. And I always love uh, going to, I love the iron sharpen iron, sharing with a brother. Uh, so you know the word truth in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Do you know the three letters in Hebrew? No, I don't. First middle, it's the first middle and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Oh, yeah. That's word right. is yeah. Amist. Right, right. Yeah, I, so, you, so you're familiar with this. Yes. Uh, Jeff, your thoughts? I'm certainly not a Hebrew scholar, but what is the question? Well, my question is, what are you guys' thoughts on this? Because I want, uh, I uh, I search it through Paleo-Hebrew, and it comes in an ox, water, and a cross. Uh, Pre-Hebrew, the Tav was a cross, and the Mem was a uh, was represented as water and uh olive represents an ox 
Now, remember, Jesus said, I am the truth and the way and the life. Nobody comes through the Father but through me. And I find it fascinating that the first letter is the olive, which represents ox and God. And then the, uh, the middle letter is water. And the last letter is the Tav, which is the cross. And it, to me, it's fascinating through picture Pilio that the the uh, the ox came down through, through water through Mary's womb because that's what the mem represents is a womb. And uh, after the birth of Christ, the mem became open instead of closed. And then uh, the on a cross, which the Tav is the cross. What's your, your thoughts, thoughts Jeff? on that? Yeah. You know, it's a, this is sort of a, kind of akin to Bible numerology in the sense of, you know, looking for meanings in the letters and, and whatnot. And, and I hear you, I get it. Um, you know, I, I don't know that it was something intended by God. I, I can't say that. Um, you know, if, if you want to, you can find almost anything, uh, any kind of meaning in like Bible numbers or Bible letters. Uh, and with a lot of people, it's a, it's a, you know, a, a popular thing to do to, you know, look, even with chapters and verses, what do they add up to? And that is going to tell us something or prophesy something. And I kind of keep uh, a bit of a distance from that. And I'm not saying it's not interesting. It's interesting, but I can't say authoritatively that that's something God meant to do. Um, because there are many configurations of, Hebrew and Greek letters that you can look up and, and find. And, and if you dig, you can find meanings to them or they seem to connect and, and, uh, it brings some kind of a message. But I'm, I'm careful with that because, um, I've seen people go, uh, and again, I'm not raining on your parade, uh, Woody. It's interesting, but I've seen people do this kind of thing and, and get all caught up in looking for hidden meanings instead of just, learning the scriptures and reading what God intended for us to learn from what he specifically wrote, explicitly wrote. And uh, so I try to just become very, very familiar with the whole of the teaching of scripture and not look for uh, meanings in letters and in words. Because like I said, I've seen people get so caught up, for instance, in the Bible numerology aspect of this, that um, they would really believe that stopping at a red light and looking at the license plate in front of them and adding up the numbers, God was speaking to them through the license plate. <laughs> and you can just take that. And I've heard testimonies. Oh, you know, I got this red light, and I literally heard somebody give this testimony. And I added up the numbers, and it was God spoke to me and gave me this prophecy. And I want to say, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> that's that's uh, taking it way out there. Or I heard somebody uh, talk about going through a, a Kroger, and they saw a sale price on a, on a product, and the amount of the sale price spoke to them, the numbers in it spoke to them, and God spoke to them. Or also, and I'll, I'll stop with this, but also, you know, have you seen the numbers 111 over and over again, or in, re in repeat on any given day? You know, when I woke up, it was uh, 111. Uh, when I stepped on the scales, I weighed 111. And then something else added up to 111. So then then what does 111 mean? And they believe that God was speaking to them through those repeated numbers. you got to really be careful with that. So, Woody, I'm not saying it's not interesting, 
I, I can't authoritatively say that that's something God intended to do. Um, maybe you have another thought on it, Mike, but I think that's just, uh, it's interesting and I would leave it there. Yeah, and I don't think it was by accident. And I do think that's kind of an interesting uh, picture that we find uh, in uh, uh, the Bible. I, I, you know, the Jews have a saying that when Messiah comes, even the space between the letters will mean something. So, Woody, I, it's good to hear that you're studying. Yes, sir. Uh, am I allowed to ask another question, or is it just one? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so, uh, so I was. I have a buddy. He's a Catholic, and I love talking to other uh, people that believe different things because I love to challenge yeah. myself. And me too. And I, 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 I think it's good to iron sharpen iron. And uh, mm-hmm. but he brought something up that was very questioning, and it, 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 it like I, I, I've noticed God works in patterns, and I have a condition to where I, I, I see patterns. That's how I was eligible to see paleo Hebrew and stuff like that. But anyhow, I, I just. Thought it was fascinating that he brought it up to me. Uh, so I didn't. I don't believe in praying the Mary, but he, he brought up to the uh, reason of why they pray the Mary is because every king, if you go back, his his mother was the queen, and the only way you can talk to the queen was, I mean, to the king was talk to ask the queen, and that's why they pray the Mary. What is your all thoughts on that? Because. He showed me in, in my Bible and a couple other Bibles, and I, I was just fascinated by it. Now, I know the Catholic Bible has 73 books, and our Bible has 66 books, which I question that because the King James Version, the original King James, and the Geneva Bible, which we brought over, had 80 books. So, well, I don't know. I first of all, uh, very quickly, to just answer your question, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. So any praying to Mary, any any uh, trying to pull something out of context in history that they were doing, uh, talking to the queen and through the sun, that is not applicable to the Bible. And we have to understand that because, again, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. So praying to Mary, praying to the saints, praying to the Pope, any of those kinds of things is all simply a waste of time. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. And so when the Bible says something, we need to be very, very careful not to change it. Well, yeah, but there was a story in the Old Testament or there was a story in history where, where, where you got to be very careful in, in cross modulating the, the truth of God's word with some secular event or some other event that would go contrary to what the rest of the Bible says. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, that's it's it's Mariology. That's that that's taught by the Catholic Church, and they've done all kinds of things. They they you know she's the Eternal Virgin. You know they've gone through all of these uh, theological acrobatics to somehow justify calling her an Eternal Virgin. Uh, you know they they do pray to her. They believe that she goes to Jesus on their behalf. Uh, as Mike said, that's not there. It's not in the Scripture. If it's not in the scripture, then it's not for you and me as professing Christians. It's extra biblical, uh, which takes us to the second thing you pointed out, uh, Woody, the uh, multiple or the many more books that are in the Catholic Bible. That's the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha has never been considered uh, to be um, inspired. Uh, Jesus never quoted from it. The apostles never quoted from it. 
the apostle or the apocrypha was written in the intertestamental period, meaning it was written in the 400 years between the two testaments or the two covenants. And um, it's, it's never been considered by any gathering of the church fathers, um, again, by any of the apostles. They never quoted from it. Christ never alluded to it. So uh, they added that. They, they accepted that as inspired. But if you read the Apocrypha, absent maybe one and two Maccabees, which is pretty pretty decent history on the intertestamental period. It's valuable in that way. Uh, but when you get into some of the others, Judith and some of the others, and you read it carefully, it's just extra biblical out the wazoodle. It's, it's, you don't find, there's all kinds of things in it that are just fairy tale, fable, made up stuff that you cannot find in the Bible. So that's another thing they did. They brought in this Mariology, this worship of Mary, and then they also brought in the Apocrypha and added it to the Holy Scriptures, which Protestant Bibles do not do, and rightly so. So I hope that that helps, Woody. So I hope it does. Woody, thanks for the call. Yeah, yes, sir. Well, God bless you. Stay on the line, send you out the couple of movies to you, the movie Jesus, God of Wonders, and also a little book called Time to Grow. I think you'll enjoy it. Great for evangelism. Share it with your friends. Let's go to Chris, Cottonwood, Arizona. Hi, welcome. Hello. I um, love to read my Bible. I want to have eternal life and know the Father and His Son, like it says in John seventeen three. Now, I, I believe Jesus is the only begotten Son, and I don't understand what that means, begotten Son. And also, I read in Job, sons, more than one son. And um, I don't understand that either. Chris, I'm so glad you called, because if you'll notice, the word sons in the book of Job is not capitalized. And I think that's very important. But you'll notice... The Son of God is capitalized, and the reason why is Jesus Christ was God. And when we look at the rest of the verses concerning who Jesus Christ is, whether you go to Matthew chapter 1, uh, it says, And he shall be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, the word the only begotten Son is an interesting word, mononigenous. And what it means is a special relationship with his father. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that he was created at that time. It means it's a relationship that he had with his father in heaven. And so oftentimes the cults will try to use this and say, see, he was begotten or he was born of the father. No, Jesus has always been. And Jesus, Jesus fortifies this. When you go to John eight fifty eight. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that is improper Greek. It's improper English, and it was also improper Hebrew. Because Jesus wasn't saying before Abraham was, I was. He's saying before Abraham was, I am, I am in all times present. That is an extremely important statement that Jesus made. Insomuch that John eight fifty nine, and they picked up stones to stone him because he was claiming to be God. You see, that's what that means. And when Jesus uses the same identifier, before Abraham was, 
I am is the same identification that God gave Moses at the burning bush when he said, when I go to the Jewish people, who shall I say sent me? God said, tell them the I am sent you. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and it, the, the Greek word actually is monogenes, and it's it's a compound word. And uh, one is monos, of course, we know that in English. And genos means one of a kind. And this word, begotten, speaks straight to the incarnation. That's what it's pointing to, that there's never been an incarnation where God visited earth in the form of a human being. It, monogamous, there, there's, it's one of a kind, uh, um, one offspring or one stock. There's never been one, and there will never be an, another one. That's the meaning of it, one and only. Jesus is the, the one and only, uh, the, the monogamous, the, the one of a kind uh, that he literally uh, became, God literally became a man. God literally wrapped himself in human skin. He literally became one of us. And that's the meaning of that word begotten. It's, it's talking about the complete uniqueness of Jesus. There's, there's never been one like him. He's not like the angels. There were a bunch of angels created. Uh, and that's where you get the sons in, in, in Job, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and exactly. That's where you get the plural sons. So angels were created. But this is saying, talking about the uniqueness of the incarnation, that a that Jesus was conceived supernaturally uh, in the womb of Mary, a human female, and that there has never been one like that before, and there will never be another one like it after. So that's what begotten means. It's the uniqueness of Jesus. And see, Buddha can't say, you can't say that about Buddha. You can't say it about Muhammad. Can't say it about Confucius. Can't say it about Zoroaster. Can't say it about any religious leader in history. There, Jesus is the unique. There's no one ever like him. No one. He's a monogamous. He's one of a kind. And that's what it means. So when we preach Jesus or we worship Jesus or when we place our faith in Jesus um, and we read the story of Jesus, you're reading about something totally unique in the history of humanity that it will never be repeated and never happened before it before this happened the the birth of Christ so that's what it that's what it means and i hope that helps yeah one of a kind relationship special relationship with his father only jesus had that and so i hope that helps you have um, i have another question if um jesus was the i am in the burning bush with moses then can you explain what John fourteen fifteen means? What we have, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he gave those commandments to Moses. Which ones do we need to follow? Well, no, that's the law. Again, if you read Galatians, the Bible tells us there, that the law was the schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. Jesus said, they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Then he added this. 
He said, the second is likened unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is what's so important. And all those that believe you've got to keep the law as well as being a Christian need to understand their Bible. Jesus said, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. For upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. The commandments of Jesus are not the Ten Commandments. The commandments of Jesus are to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you go to John chapter 12, Jesus said, I kept my Father's commandments, now you keep mine. Love one another. And so again, fulfilling again that that. In love, we that's how we keep the commandments. It's not obligation, but it's out of love. If you love your fellow man, you're not going to be bad-mouthing him. You're not going to be plotting wickedness against him. If you love your fellow man, you're not going to be stealing from him. If you love God, you're not going to be taking his name in vain or making idols to somehow represent what God looks like because you worship him in your heart. So when we really look at what Jesus said, the commandments of Jesus are to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. For upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Your thoughts? Yeah, and and Chris, one thing, you're wondering if anything is valid from the law that Moses brought. There were quickly three kinds of law. There was the ceremonial law, civic law, and the moral law. The ceremonial law was all the festivals, all the feasts, all the things that they kept throughout uh, every year. The civic law was just the law, the legal law that they were under uh, when they were uh, in the wilderness and when they came into the promised land, uh, they had, uh, God gave them a legal, legal laws to live by. But those two uh, types of law went away. They're not relevant to us as Christians anymore. Ceremonial, forget it. Paul talks about that. Colossians says you don't have to obey those anymore. Don't let anybody judge you if you don't keep those anymore. And uh, the civic law, that's gone with uh, Israel. That went away when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So all we have is the moral law. The moral law was carried over into the New Testament, and that would be nine of the Ten Commandments. The only one that wasn't carried over was the, the commandment regarding the Sabbath, which Hebrews tells us Jesus is our Sabbath rest. So we're not under some compunction to keep the Sabbath and be under some bondage to uh, observing a certain Sabbath day and so on and so forth. But the other nine, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't take God's name in vain, those are all valid for us today. And uh, we walk, you know, we, we live by those in our own American laws, but I certainly... Those laws are relevant to me and to every believer. I'm not going to go kill somebody. Uh, I mean, I know in my conscience it's wrong, but I also know by the commandment that it's wrong. So nine of the Ten Commandments were brought over into the New Covenant. Uh, they're valid. They are valid for us today. But the other civic and ceremonial, they're not. So that's kind of the way those laws uh, shake down uh, now for us. And I hope that helps clarify it for you. Amen. Chris, I hope that helps. It does. It does. Thank you. 
God bless you, dear. Stay on the line and send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs I think you'll really enjoy. And uh, again, pass them out to your friends, get them back, pass them out again. And uh, great for evangelists and especially for people that are kind of hard to talk to. Sometimes moms, dads, relatives, close friends. Uh, let the uh, let the DVD do the talking for you. Let the book do the talk. It works really well. Stay on the line. Chris, we'll get you taken care of. And God bless you. Let's go to Richard. Newport, Washington. Hi and welcome. How you doing, brothers? Good. How may we help? Well, one, I need prayer for my feet because I don't drive and my feet are killing me. They, my bunions and my heels just started hurting me about a couple of days ago. So please pray for my feet. We will do that. Nothing's hard for God. And uh, mm-hmm. do you have real flat feet? No, they just started hurting me a couple of days ago, and it's getting worse and worse. And I'm on a yeah. fixed income. I'm 61 years old, and I don't drive, and I walk everywhere. And they just started hurting me, so I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I've been praying. I've been calling my Christian friends and praying. I figure since I'm on the line, I'll ask you guys to pray for me too. Well, we will certainly do that. You know, a lot of people, especially as you get older, get uh, – well, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher it, but plantar fasciitis, it's, it's in your feet. And uh, it's just your feet don't work quite right. And, um, you know, they recommend that you elevate them uh, above your, above your, and I'm not a doctor. I don't give really advice. I'm just saying what people have said and give some relief and things like that. But um, your thoughts. Yeah, well, I mean, you got to be able to work. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of the woman with the issue of blood, not in the same way, but 12 years she went to doctors and one after another, huge disappointment. But just touching Jesus' garment one quick time and the power to heal flowed into her body and she was healed. So we can believe, uh, Richard, that that's, that God's power to heal is going to touch your feet. And Father, we do. We just pray that you'll touch Amen. Richard's feet and yes, anybody else in the audience suffering from this. We thank you, Lord, that there is no time or distance with God. That same virtue that flowed out of your garment into the woman with the issue of blood, she instantly knew that she was healed. Lord, let the same virtue flow into Richard and anyone else listening. Yes, God. That may be dealing with the same affliction. We thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 So important. Richard, we'll be praying for you. Testimonies. We love testimonies. Love to hear how God heals and restores and blesses. So important. Richard, stay in line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy it. And um, everyone, we're coming up on a break. We don't want anyone to go away. When we come back, we're going to have a whole lot more to every minute answer right after this. It all came down to the ultrasound. And I saw this little lima bean looking thing with a halo. When this mom came to a preborn center, a baby wasn't really in her plans. And I got to hear the heartbeat and I got chills. In that moment, I just felt God's arms come around me and hug me and tell me that it was going to be okay. After hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her baby on ultrasound, this mom's plans changed. My choice to become a mom, hear those little footsteps running down the hall. 
hallway every morning is all because I had an ultrasound. It saved my life and hers. When an expected mother meets her baby on ultrasound, she is 80% more likely to choose life. Preborn's network of clinics are the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and have rescued over 270,000 babies. To learn how you can rescue a baby's life, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. All gifts are tax deductible. You know, these days, so refreshing to get some good news about how to pay for health care, especially if you're 65 or older, you know just how brutal costs can be. Well, MediShare now has a new option for you. It's called MediShare 65 Plus. And MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills. And it really is a community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. If you've got Medicare Parts A and B, MediShare 65 Plus fills in those gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too, because it starts at only $99 a month for up to 10 years. And it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor or get 24-7 telehealth access, prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Just very worth looking into. MediShare 65 Plus is taking applications now. And if you call with the promo code SHARE before January 31st, your second month will be free. Call 833-90-SHARE. That's 833-90-SHARE. 833-90-SHARE. And we want to welcome you back to part two of Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer with Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm your host, Mike Kessler, and we're going to go right back to the phones. We have Gloria on the line in Arizona. Hi, and welcome. Hi. Um, I was calling in regards to the end times. I know the United States is not in and revelation, but it just talks about not being able to buy or sell at the end times. And I keep, I have just heard about the WHO not, WHO maybe having control of our society. And I didn't know if that could be part of that prophecy. To not be able to. Well, well, Gloria, there's no doubt we're being sold down the river. Any any group of people that let your border get over, over uh, ridden with millions and millions of illegals, putting a strain on already a very strained society. Our infrastructure can't handle it. It's all deliberate. The American news media shamefully will not tell people the truth. They're liars. And what this is really doing to... Uh, communities all over America. It's so bad in Texas that Governor Abbott has closed the border down. Biden says open it back up. And so there's a standoff. And, you know, Jeff, you're in Texas. All I can say is, Governor, uh, uh, please stand strong against the tyranny Mm -hmm. of really America being overthrown. Your thoughts? Well, yeah, Governor Abbott uh, has taken a stand. They, They passed a law my understanding is they passed a law uh, that gave uh, the police the right to deport, the power to deport. And so they've taken a stand to stop this 
just totally porous open border. And uh, Insanity. Washington, yeah, and Washington Biden administration has resisted it, has uh, told Abbott to stop it. And so you have to wonder uh, why in the world, because didn't uh, President Biden put his hand on a Bible and uh, swear to uphold the laws of the land. Well, one of the laws of the land is you can certainly become, uh, you can you can migrate here, but you've got to do it legally. And for anybody coming across the border illegally, they should be uh, treated as uh, a criminal and deported mm-hmm. back. Yeah, lawbreakers. I mean, you're breaking a law. But instead, the Biden administration seems totally intent, even in light of the fact and in spite of the fact that many mayors of blue states and blue cities, you know, think of Chicago, think of, uh, you know, uh, other, uh, you know, Colorado and other places where, and in California, where uh, illegals are flooding in and, and the, the mayors and the governors are uh, pitching a fit and, and uh, they're all upset that people like Abbott are sending busloads of these illegal, illegal immigrants to them. And they're saying we can't take it. It's straining our economy and we have nowhere to put them. But they're only getting a tiny fraction of a taste of what we're experiencing in, in border states like Texas. And uh, yet they're whining and moaning about it. But what, what I don't understand is why aren't they going straight to Washington and facing the one man responsible for this, who is President Biden? Because he could give the word today, and Mayorkas and these people who have done his bidding and letting the uh, border uh, go by the wayside, and really our sovereignty being ruined, uh, you know, he could he could give the word, and, and it would be stopped. He could call out the National Guard. He could do anything, and it would be stopped. But he doesn't. Even with his own Democrat leaders throughout the country complaining and and screaming bloody murder about what all these migrants being bused to them is doing to their cities. He, it, even that is not stopping him. So you have to sit back and wonder what in the world is going on here? What is he up to? Apparently, for whatever reason, there's only one conclusion. He wants America overrun. He wants American Overthrown. sovereignty Overthrown. destroyed. Completely. Yeah. Yeah, when so, you stop to think that the Roman Empire was never conquered, its borders were overran. Sound familiar? Yeah. yeah and so, I, what's his trick? Yeah. What's he? What's he going to do in in uh, July or August? Say, oh, all people that broke in our country who are illegal now can vote. Well, yeah. that vote for yeah. me, everything is free. This is sure. how the communists, through history, mm-hmm. have taken over. Promise the world, deliver nothing. Once they get in power. They're tyrants. Now, one of the things they want, they want an unarmed America. So this is going to be the next big move of the communist Biden administration. I'll call it for what it is, because that is what it is. No really person in their right mind would let your borders be overrun by tens of millions of people all living off of your social security checks, mm-hmm. your tax dollars, everybody. That's what it's about. Your medical dollars. Yeah. They're not coming Hospitals. from Mexico. They're coming yeah. from all over the world. And many yeah. of them are terrorists. 
So it's on purpose. Now, to answer your question, why isn't America in biblical prophecy? Friends, I don't know. Um, I, I believe there's several things. And America being really the world, you might say world power right now, or at least one or two of, of several, uh, it is not even found in anything in the end time. So America evidently something happens to it. Now, I'll give you several scenarios. Number one, it could be taken out by a series of natural events like a 15-0 earthquake, uh, not just a San Andreas earthquake, but where the tectonic plates push down and the San Joaquin Valley actually becomes an inland ocean. Now, this is real. This is what they're saying can happen. We have the Cascadia Fault off the coast of Oregon and Washington, way, way overdue for a major correction, as well as San Andreas. It's that's actually 80-plus years overdue for a major correction. So they're not expecting a 7.0. They're thinking it's going to go off the scale, actually. Well, the devastation enter San Francisco 1906, something along that magnitude all over California. Now, when you stop to think that they've been building California for over 150 years, uh, there's not enough two-by-fours, plaster, and sheetrock to rebuild the place. The economic disaster that would cause globally as well to the United States, that would be something. And then if this earthquake, Cascadia, San Andreas, and these other, some of these lesser faults go off as well, as well as Yellowstone. This giant supervolcano that would put heavy ash out as far as Tennessee, as it did the last time it erupted, and the lighter ash going as far as New York. What that would do to all of our infrastructure, all of our farming, all of our economy would be pretty much decimated. Number two, we could get a surprise attack from China, Russia. We don't know. Because here again, you hear Putin saber-rattling his anger towards the West, predominantly the United States, for supplying the Ukraine with weapons. He didn't like that. And so he has vowed retaliation. And this hardly a week goes by that he doesn't threaten in some way, some type of a nuclear war against the United States. Now, China, on the other hand, wants to take Taiwan. What is keeping Taiwan from being taken right now is the United States present. But if it's reduced to nothing, such as a war or a, maybe an Axis power of China and Russia together, um, North Korea is not really an issue but certainly they would join in. We have this scenario where America may be simply just not an issue anymore. Number three, America could just degenerate into a civil war where everybody is so busy fighting each other, we haven't got time to be a world leader. And it seems like what may be going on in Texas right now between Governor Abbott and the uh, current Gestapo in the White House uh, may very well turn into that. Because I believe that, that Abbott will enforce Texas's borders. And if that is tampered with, 
you know, Jeff, I don't know how that might shake out. The third thing is America could experience a giant revival. The rapture comes and we're all not here. I wouldn't put my heart too heavy in that, though it's something I do pray for. And one of the other things that we have to look at as well, as the United States just simply becomes so weakened, and that's what I believe right now. Again, I don't believe, and I know this is going to sound ridiculous, I don't believe Joe Biden's the president. Joe Biden doesn't even know how to walk off a stage. There's not a single speech that he makes that he doesn't in some way lie in it. And they have literally dozens and dozens, scores of lies in almost every speech that he makes. Who controls the teleprompter when he starts wandering in the middle of his speeches? That's who your president is. Whoever's turning off the cameras when he's not in control anymore, there's your president. So really, we don't know who the president is. It's some dark force that's out to destroy America. And I believe they're working completely overtime. And personally, I wish the United States military would go in and seize them all for treason, allowing our borders to be overran. Isn't it weird that we go clear to the Ukraine to stop people from invading their borders like Russia, but in America, we don't do a thing? Isn't it funny? We'll spend billions of dollars to stop, to stop Russian communism. And yet we put communists in our own Senate, like an avowed socialist communist, Bernie Sanders and the others that are there. We don't do anything about that. So friends, really, we may just degenerate into what we're headed for right now. We may find that judgment of God, possibly through these different global catastrophes that may come upon us. I don't know, but I know this. Jesus said, when you begin to see these things, Matthew chapter 4, 24, look up, your redemption draws nigh. When you begin to see them, I see a global economic world collapse very soon. We have a debt right now, and because of the current president, we have went trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars more in debt. People are going, oh, look at the economy. The economy is terrible. If you think a good economy is by subsidizing with trillions of borrowed money, you don't know anything about economics. Well, we're going to spend our way out of debt. Tell me, do you know anybody that's ever worked for? So we are in some real trouble. Work, Jesus said, for the night is coming when no one can work. So what happens to the United States? I really don't know. But it doesn't seem that we are in any shape to be any kind of a world leader during that time. Any last thoughts? Yeah, Gloria, to your question, um, some people believe Babylon is America, the Babylon of Revelation 17, 18, uh, 17, chapter 17 and 18. Uh, it's not, America is not the Babylon of Revelation. I, my guess would be, because we're certainly in a collapsing culture. I, you know, I'm not a downer. I, you know, I, I have faith in God. I believe in God's sovereignty. I don't walk around depressed all the time over what's happening. I do walk around burdened a lot about what's happening, but I have a very solid faith in God's sovereignty. Now, that said, I do believe we're in a collapsing culture. And without a direct intervention of God in the form of 
a massive revival or a genuine awakening or reformation, um, I think America is it's just a matter of time. I it seems to me it's going the way of Rome, which just rotted from the inside. It rotted morally, it rotted militarily, it rotted politically, and over a long period of time, incrementally, it just became weaker and weaker and weaker until the day arrived when the Roman military had not the the strength nor the willpower to resist the barbarian hordes that were coming across its border. I mean, it's like the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. We had the Goths, the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, the Huns, all of these just barbarian people far below Rome educationally and whatnot, but they were just savages. And they came across the border, and when Rome was too weak to any longer resist it, and Rome bit the dust. It seems to me, without a move of God, we are looking at almost a, a just an eerie repeat of Rome. Um, that said, I pray for America. I do believe that, that the gospel being preached um, to America could bring a change, or at least could... could uh, slow down what's happening, but it, it seems to me, barring a move of God, it, it's collapsing all around us militarily, morally, politically, the same way that Rome did. Mike? Amen. So I hope that helps. Yes, praise God. He's still in control. Amen. Yes. He's on his throat. But I do believe, and, and this, I, I want everybody to understand, I, I'm not a political dude, but I am a realist. And when I see the collapse of America, and it will collapse, friends, there's no way around it. Um, do what you can do today for Jesus. That's all I'm saying about any time. Any time I ever mention anything about uh, government, these kinds of things, it's to wake us up that things are not going to stay the way they are. We live in this idea of what's called time continuum. All things remain as they are. It is not the case. And so when we understand where we're at, I believe it'll help us really discern the times we're in and motivate us to be more about our Father's business. Gloria, I hope that helps, dear. Yes, thank you. It does. Stay on the line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. With that, we'll go to Julie Castle Rock, Washington. Hi, and welcome. Yes, hi. I was listening to a teaching last week, and the pastor was trying to teach about something called progressive covenantalism. And I was wondering, what is that? It sounded sketchy to me. Okay, Jeff, your thoughts. Well, there's two theological systems that uh, really these days you're either going to be with one or the other. And they're dispensational uh, theology, uh, that, that theological system, and the covenantal or covenant theology. And uh, they, are, they are two different systems. Covenant theology basically breaks down God's dealing with mankind uh, into three covenants. Uh, the, the covenant that was made between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit before the world was even created, that uh, he would come and redeem us from our sins. The second covenant, the covenant of works, which uh, Adam and Eve were under until the fall, and then the covenant of grace. So there was the covenant of redemption, covenant of works, covenant of grace. And we are right now, of course, under 
the covenant of grace if you're a covenantal theologian. And dispensationalism, whole different system, and I won't go into that for time's sake, but it seems that progressive covenantalism is sort of an offshoot of covenantal theology, uh, and it's, it's, it's a way to view the progression of God's unfolding plan of salvation through the eyes of covenant, not dispensations, but through the eyes of covenants. And um, it, it's a way of connecting the overall biblical, we could say, meta-narrative, where you're looking at how God brought, uh, began with everything in the, in the creation, Genesis 3.15, God uh, predicted that he was going to send a bruiser of Satan's head. And uh, so we have there the promise of the covenant of grace. And from there forward, you've got God, God's unfolding plan of salvation. And the progressive covenantal theology is, is sort of a, I, mean, I want to be careful here because I'm not super familiar with it, but it's sort of a hybrid of covenantal theology and progressive covenantal theologians hold up progressive covenantalism against covenantal theology and dispensational theology, and they make a distinction. But again, it's simply a lens through which you you observe God's dealings with man through the ages, starting with creation all the way down to the coming of Christ, and then all the way down to uh, time ending as we know it with Revelations 22, and the new Jerusalem and eternal life and time going away as we have known it. So making it, I don't mean to ramble, but to, to put it simply, it's a lens through which to view the dealings of man through the generations, through through the old and the new covenant. And it's kind of, it's new. Progressive covenantal theology is a new system. So maybe we can study up a little bit on it, uh, a little bit more on it and give a better answer next time. But again, it's a it's a hybrid uh, of covenant theology, and covenantal theology has been around a long time. And you're either a dispensationalist or you're under covenant theology, and uh, one of those two. So this is new, and I didn't mean to ramble, Julie, but I hope that helps. Yeah, and what they kind of believe is all the promises to Israel now apply to the church, which in in a way that is true, but in another way that is not true because God has a very specific purpose for Israel in the last days, and Israel has—the uh, church has not replaced Israel concerning the promises that were made to Abraham. And so depending on what degree of this particular idea is out there depends on what you may experience. Now, again, you can talk to somebody— uh, from a Calvary Chapel or a Presbyterian church or a Baptist church, and you'll get all kinds of different ideas of theology, uh, just as you will in, in anything that falls into this category as well. And so I believe that there's different degrees of it, just as you said. And of course, we can do a little better job maybe to research it a little bit more. But, uh, in this idea of, of, um, progressive uh, con- uh, covenantalism um, and new covenant theology, um, there's varying degrees of it. And from what I've read about it, some of it could be okay. 
but others really throw up a flag. And I think you just have to be careful and listen to where they stand. If they say that Israel uh, is no more, that God is dealing now with just one people, doesn't matter whether it's Israel or or uh, uh, the Gentiles that are born again, uh, it's all the same, all homogenized into one. That is false. And so you just kind of have to look at each one. Hope that helps, Julie. Yeah, because all my red flags started to go up because it was so confusing. And it was just, it seemed very odd to me. So thank you for addressing that. And we'll do a little bit more research on it as well and see what we can do. Because, again, there's different degrees of of of, of these different ideas that are out there, just as you'll find different degrees of what somebody in the Presbyterian Church believes or the Baptist Church or whatever. You'll find these different degrees even among ministers. So um, we'll have to do a little bit more research on it. But even then, it's a bar of soap and a bathtub, hard to grab onto. So I hope that helps. Stay in line, Julie. We'll send you out. Something I hope you'll really like. Stay on the line. We'll get you fixed up. Let's go to Hal, North San Juan, California. Yeah. Hi, guys. How may we help? We only got a couple minutes. Okay. Yeah. I heard a, a pastor recently speak that uh, the new covenant wasn't given to the Gentiles, but to the Jews, um, and that we are grafted in to the, you know, to the tree with the Jews. And, uh, the, and the illustration was the disciples at the Last Supper um, when he, you know, talked about the new covenant, they were all Jews. Okay, your thoughts? Well, no, the the gospel is for everybody, and the, the, here's the distinction. Jesus often would say, you know, I'm I'm called first, speaking of himself, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he was called to the Jew first, but not only to the Jew, because we got to remember the woman at the well was a Samaritan Gentile. So Jesus reached out to her. Uh, when, when Jesus gave to Peter the keys of the kingdom, uh, those keys represented the fact that Peter would be the apostle that uh, opened the door of the gospel and the kingdom to both Jew and Gentile. On the day of Pentecost, he's the one that preached to all those gathered Jews, those that were there for Pentecost. But then when he went to Cornelius' house, he was also the one with the key that opened the gospel to the Gentiles. And they marveled. And the men that were with Peter marveled that the Gentiles of Cornelius' household were all filled with the Spirit, just like the Jewish believers had been. Uh, and Peter went back and reported to James and the brethren that God had opened the door to the Gentiles. And they, they marveled at it. But that was God's plan all along. He went to the Jew first, and they rejected it. The Jewish folks rejected the gospel and rejected Christ. Even Paul uh, washed his hands of the Jews one day and said, you know, you don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear the gospel. From henceforth, I'm going to the Gentiles. So uh, in, in the bigger picture from 30,000 feet up, the gospel was always meant to be for everybody, first going to the Jew and then to the Gentiles as well. Yeah, and the second part of that would be the new covenant was not given to the Gentiles, but given only to the Jews. Then what covenant is the Gentiles under? Even their own question doesn't make any sense. Hope that helps. Hal, stay in line. We'll fix you up with some books, DVDs. If it didn't answer your own question, call us back. We'll put you on first thing tomorrow, as well as everybody that was on hold. God bless you. Thanks, Jeff, for being on. 
Firmo. My pleasure. Or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes Store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 